0: Hello, and welcome to the Jazz Imposters. four musicians' journey through the world of jazz, one tune at a time. I'm Aaron on electric bass. I'm Dustin on the drums.
1: Andres on the saxophone. Hmm. Emmanuel on the piano.
2: Emmanuel joining us again. Welcome back. champion. He actually Emmanuel. never left. He's yeah, been here. he's been living in my garage the entire time. <laughs> oh, um, that's and then, and it's been a pent up house since ever since. No. Hey. How weird cuz that's also the title of this week's song. Yeah, I'm not really sure I'm using that correct word correctly. We're, I don't know if there is a right way to use yeah. that word. What does it mean? What is the song pent up house about? What was Sonny Rollins going through when he wrote this? The song's by Sonny Rollins, by the way. A man we have not yet really tapped into on the podcast. So I'm excited for tonight because I I am familiar with Sonny Rollins playing on some other records, and I really enjoy this guy's saxophone playing.
0: We did a Jazz Imposters episode where one of the songs, there was a Sonny Rollins version. You, was it?
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, there's been a few. Yeah. 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 Um, but, uh, yeah, I really enjoy his playing. Super uh, melodic and, and lyrical and all the, all the good things. Hmm. Andres, tell us your thoughts as our resident sax player on Sonny Rollins.
1: Well, me and Sonny, you know, we, we went back. Mm-hmm. Uh now I I've I've off the top of my head I can think of he's played so many songs uh different different versions of songs but I think one thing that's always uh, stood out is just the tone the tonality of his tenor saxophone it's just it's just a beautiful warm sound
0: okay so um, let's get let's a uh, quick comparison we've had some uh major sa- tenor sax players John Coltrane Stan Getz and now Sonny Rollins how how does he They're play? all
1: similar in their in their high Playing and just the the, I don't want to say like the value of their sound, but they they there's a tone to them that's just beautiful. Um, can they say- all sound different yeah. clearly. They all have a different way that they play, but with just the tone of their instrument. There's just there's a, a richness to to his playing. Uh, and what's interesting about this song is there are parts in the melody that there's no band playing, and you just hear his horn, and you can really hear. Just the quality.
0: Yeah. Speaking of which, if you haven't heard the song yet, uh, just starting off early in the podcast, giving it a listen will give you some great context.
1: And the name of the song is, is "Penthouse." House. I can't even say
0: it. Pent <laughs> House. It does Pentup sound kind of susical.
2: Yeah. I, I was going to say, as a layman, a saxophone layman, I feel like of the saxophone players we've covered, three of the probably most famous jazz saxophone players in history, I feel like Sonny Rollins fits right in the middle to my ears. Between Stan Getz and and Coltrane, if you were to view them as sort of the the opposite ends of the earth, the polar opposite <laughs> sort of, because I feel like Stan Getz, um, you know, his style is much more elongated, and uh, you you like hear these whispery sort mm. of texture to them, and and a lot of low soulful sounds, and then and then Coltrane. You know, the waterfall of sounds. Yeah, you know. it's kind of honky and craggy. Yeah, the cascading of notes. Uh, well, there's
1: the, the first note of this song is in a lower register, at least on the tenor saxophone. I'm trying to remember. I think he does start out the song.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah.
1: And it's this note. It's pretty and low. It's pretty low. Yeah. You know, it's not...
0: But What note is that for you? Uh, that is my E. Mm-hmm. E, um, so how many notes down... You only have... That's almost oh. like four from the bottom, right? I got like I got like six left. Six left.
1: Um, but there's some players that will play it like this, you know. Oh,
2: you don't want to you don't want to start the song off like that. No,
1: that's not a that's that's you're getting attacked by a goose at a park. What, so what's um, the difference there? It's just where you. It's hard to describe because it's such a this instrument is not very accurate. There's a lot of things that how your armature, the muscles in your mouth, um, and how you almost attack that air will give you a certain type of quality. And when you listen to his playing, you can hear that sophistication, that he's he's attacking that note just perfectly. And it's not a big honk, it's not like a middle school player who just picked up the instrument. He knows exactly where to place that note.
0: I always, and Emmanuel, you might- That's
1: just one note, this is the first note.
0: <laughs> you can probably relate to this. On my stringed instrument, uh this is no sweat, neither is this. I just pick a button and push it. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah.
3: I wish it's it was. It's totally yeah. always blown my mind about wind instruments and in oh general. Oh, my God.
2: Right? You know. So many variables to screw up the sound right, right off the get go. You, know? you know,
3: I was
0: asking Andres uh, after the last podcast if he could help me with phrasing. And we were talking about it. And it dawned on me that <laughs> you have to breathe. So yeah. breathing <laughs> factors gives into you a, the whole yeah, equation. It gives yeah. you a natural way to phrase. You know, for me, if I'm trying to play a solo, I just
2: <laughs> I can do that like forever. A dog. Yeah. yeah, right.
0: I can freak out forever. I never have to breathe. And you so you might want to see a doctor about that. By <laughs> the way,
1: <laughs> well, something I've always took advantage of is just the kind of the size of my head and just how the. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 what, yeah, why we, are you laughing at me, Dustin? does Justin? that yeah. mean? I'm saying the, the, to the that quality that of, of my cheeks and just how much fat quali- on my face. They, they are of a high really, quality. Yeah. <laughs> this is good cheekbones. Yeah. Um, and I think all horn players, just generally speaking, have larger-sized craniums to fill up that sound. Yeah, um, I, not necessarily I filled you, with anything. <laughs> I know you think <laughs> just, that. Except
2: for air. Right? It's just a yeah. whole bunch of backup air. Nice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's
0: funny. When I was in uh, middle school, we had a trumpet player visit our school, mm-hmm. and he showed us um, circular breathing and playing oh, the man. trumpet. And so he basically held a note for, I don't know, a minute, yeah, two it minutes. Blows my mind. Yeah, it was really neat, and I I can't imagine keeping your embouchure like that, and somehow inhaling through your nose and continuing to I think, use your I cheeks. I think Kenny G is he the one that? Oh, didn't he set a he set a Guinness record for yeah. the longest held right? note. On a multiple choice ch- test, Andres, could you uh, pick between uh, John, Stan, and Sonny?
2: Like it, uh, upon hearing them? Yeah, could I you identify?
0: So. Could you play the matching game?
2: I think so. I think I could do it too, honestly. Oh, cool. I don't mean to toot my own sax, but I think I could do <laughs> it, man. I've seen you toot your own sax. It's yeah. <laughs> <That's> gross.
1: <laughs> it's interesting because you know, you think of a saxophone in the same way, You know, it's just an instrument, it's a piece of metal with holes in it. You know, what makes a sound different? But there is so many variables. And the same way there's so many variables with a bass and drum, whatever it's made out of, if it's different skins, I don't know what they're called.
0: Um, And it is not not unheard of that, especially with an instrument like an upright bass, that different players have really distinct sounds. I think the guy's name is Eddie Gomez, and he played on a lot of kind of like jazz fusion or avant-garde jazz music. And I remember he always had this very nasally tight tone Mm -hmm. and it was easy to pick out and sometimes I would think it was the recording and I finally heard an interview with him that he he said like I always had this nasally tone and I forever I tried to get rid of it until I finally realized that that was just my sound and so he went with it and so that became his kind of like signature tone <laughs> even on a stringed instrument you know
3: that's cool i'd liken that to like lots of vocalists you know mm-hmm. who have these super unique may might be like scratchy voices mm-hmm. may not necessarily be in pitch but it's like their own thing and because it defines them so well it also sets them apart you know from yeah all mm-hmm. the crooners and things like that
2: yeah yeah i definitely feel like i hear sonny rollins's voice in his playing it's it's distinct to me in the same way those other guys are so let's get back on track and talk about this song now and this guy, Sonny Rollins. So this guy was a heavy hitter in jazz music who we haven't covered up to this point. And I'm ashamed to say I didn't know he was still alive. So Sonny Rollins came up in New York City. Um, he was contemporaries of many of the other guys we have covered up to this point, like Thelonious Monk. I read in Thelonious Monk's biography that like, I think Thelonious was a few years his senior. Sonny Rollins used to practice in his apartment um, in in Monk's apartment, in in Thelonious' apartment, yeah, um, and was coming up in bands <laughs> at the same time as Miles Davis, um, and played in a few groups with Miles Davis. Huh. I always thought he was a um, a younger musician than that crowd. I, I don't. He's know younger why. than Monk for sure, uh, but I think he's pretty close in age to Miles, uh, maybe a little bit younger. Okay. Um, born in 1930, so yeah, he was coming up. Around those the same time, like he he I think rose to great prominence in the 1950s, um, so maybe a little bit late to the game than everybody else, but I think that has more to do with his sort of backstory, and he seems like a a character in as like he took a bunch of like throughout his career, he's taken like breaks and hiatuses from music altogether, and maybe that's sort of what kept him from meeting a you know, a greater success earlier on but before this album came out um he actually ran into trouble with the law i think he got hooked on heroin as many music as we've learned many musicians did at this time it's like the late 40s early 50s and uh yeah he actually was arrested for armed robbery wow Did, did you yeah yeah for trying to basically get money to score and uh spent a couple years in jail then wow. was arrested again, I think, for parole violation for possession of heroin. This is still all in the early 1950s. And then at this point, he decided to get clean. And uh, at the time, uh, admitted himself to a facility, I forget the name, but it was like one of the first facilities that was testing methadone for treating heroin oh, addiction. that's right. I, read, I did read that. Oh, okay, yeah. And uh, ended up getting himself clean right there in the early 1950s. Um, and then after a short stint... Working as a janitor. I read that too. Yeah, at at the YMCA, I think in Chicago, he started looking to perform again and he he hooked up with the Max Roach and Clifford Brown Quintet and started playing as a sideman with that group. And it was in that time that he wrote this song, Pent Up House, and went to record his own album in 1956, the album that this song is on, which is called Sonny Rollins Plus Four. And the four musicians that he included was the musicians from that same quintet, which is kind of unusual, I guess. From what I understand, that he joined this group as a sideman, and then later when he released his own album, he brought all of those same musicians. <laughs> even on even as the his band, band leaders. Yeah, yeah. Max Roach played drums, and uh, Clifford Brown pra- played trumpet. Uh, Sonny Rollins playing the tenor saxophone, and then you have Richie Powell on piano and George Morrow on bass. And uh, interestingly, and tragically. Uh, Clifford Brown and Richie Powell both died very shortly after this recording in a car crash. Um, and they were both very young, I think, in their mid-20s. Sonny Rollins was also in his mid-20s around this time. And, uh, yeah, left left the world too soon. But uh, if you go and listen to the, their recording of this song on this album, Clifford Brown's playing is awesome. Like, it's incredible. And so is Sonny Rollins, obviously, and all the musicians on here. I was talking to these guys before the podcast that I wish I had gotten some time to do a little more research on Max Roach because he's such an influential drummer and one of the big names from this era uh I can just say from what I know about him offhand that he's very much in the vein of another drummer we've covered before Philly Joe Jones whose style is very rooted in like uh rudiments and and sort of very classical drum set style like he was a super polished musician and had a very uh just a very formal style um and uh you know obviously took it a step further than what was happening in the swing era into this bebop and hard bop era but uh great playing by him as well there's a lengthy drum solo on this recording, that I will not be attempting to replicate.
3: I think I think Max Roach was also one of. The, I, I might be wrong on this too, but I, I, think, I think Max Roach might have been one of the. The first jazz drummers to do start doing like televised drum battles, you uh-huh. know, where he's like in a kit and another yeah. guy's on a kit, and they sort of keep trading off, and then in the end, end up playing together, and it becomes this whole yeah. amazing thing.
2: Yeah, and he actually recorded an album. I, f- I can't think of what it's called right now at the top of my head, but it's entirely drums. It's only drums, and like he was really one of these guys early on that that made the drum set appear to be like an instrument that that could do more than just be in the rhythm section. Like he he had a very melodic approach. To drum set playing and soloing, that was hugely influential on the way that guys were playing drums in jazz music and in rock music. Like, I know that guys like John Bonham were hugely influenced by Max Roach, you know, the drummer for Led Zeppelin. And this guy had. Ginger
3: Baker, too. Ginger Baker,
2: yeah, who, who uh, played with Cream and who just passed away recently. But, oh, yeah. um, you know, a lot. He, he was definitely a hugely influential, not just jazz musician, but drum set player who, who, uh, whose styles spanned uh, genres. But anyway, yeah. So, uh, yeah. After this album was recorded, Sonny Rollins took another hiatus from music. Shortly thereafter, for like something like I, I got it written down here, like seven years or something. Three years. Uh, <laughs> I was close. Felt like seven. Yeah, it felt like seven. It was so long. Um, but uh, yeah, he 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 was a guy that lived like a sort of a curious musical existence, you know, in and out of prominence and taking breaks to be very introspective, but. Still around, plenty of uh, music to explore. Um, one thing I know, I knew about Sonny Rollins prior to this was that his parents are both um, Caribbean, so he's Caribbean by descent. Do you guys say Caribbean or Caribbean? I'm just curious. Caribbean, Caribbean,
3: Caribbean. Okay, Caribbean. <laughs>
2: Aaron, mm. you're making up your mind right now. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, his parents are both Caribbean, and and so in some of his later songs, including the song Saint Thomas, um, he like started infusing some. Caribbean rhythms, like calypso rhythms, and and things into jazz music, and that was one of his major contributions to that. Wait scene. a minute!
0: It is definitely not Pirates of the Caribbean. You think it's Pirates of the Caribbean? That's oh, what that's I've, true. Yeah, that's what I've heard. I,
3: yeah, I feel like that's the only time I pronounce it that way. Though. Yeah, <laughs> but was it Pirates
1: weren't from the Caribbean though?
3: I feel like all those all those breaks that he took to might mm. be a testament to why he's eighty nine and still around too. <laughs> compared <laughs> to all point. of his all of his you know, <laughs> because you only had a short
1: stint with heroin, You're just a little little dabble
3: (laughs) (laughs) yeah well not i'm not making any judgments on how he or artists do that but i feel like yeah that's probably why you know he took breaks or i think in general heroin's i'm certainly part of that but just like that whole rough living
2: yeah you know uh, yeah uh, Yeah. i mean maybe maybe he did well by himself to take some breaks what what
0: did he do during the three years he was off do you know so
2: yeah i mean he wasn't playing he wasn't performing i should say And interestingly, I read this, like, there's this apocryphal story that he talks about in some interviews that, like, he would go under this bridge, I forget the name of the bridge, in New York City, and, like, practice underneath this bridge, and that was the only time he would be playing or performing, and so people would hear this guy playing saxophone underneath this huge bridge in New York City, Uh, I want to say it was in New York City, and uh, that was, he just did that for three years, and just sort of, like, you know, it was always seemed like it was a self-imposed, period of reflection and introspection and he was just mm. stepping away to like clear his head and stuff you know that's. I kinda, feel like I have
1: the same story do you yeah. not as cool just not as like, cool
2: well like, we can write your biography after you okay. die and we'll, we'll make it sound cool. I'll start heroin like next week no oh, okay. uh, it There's doesn't seem to be the recommended wood glue <laughs> it's not really wood glue <laughs> 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 alright so yeah it's been too long we've been talking too much it's time to yeah, let's, play the
0: song let's hear, hear what it sounds like so yeah. really quickly it's a short little form Listen for the simplicity of the changes as you uh, hear it for this first time.
4: One, two, one, two, three, hmm.
1: There it was. I like this form.
0: Yeah? Simple it's, and
1: uh, sweet. And... It, it, it lends to some creativity. I've, I've played it a half a dozen times, <laughs> which was only six. That's um, right. That is half a dozen. <laughs> uh, no, it, this is this is a very, um, if this was a pop-up at a jam session, I'm like, oh, yeah, I can do this. Yeah. And I can explore. So
0: let's talk about that for a minute. So let's. the form is uh, four times four, 16 bars. Sixteen bars, so shorter, and it's a, a a a a. I know. I guess a a b a in a very short shortened version. Yeah, it's a very quick ones in a, there.
2: a a b a. Yeah. Each section is only four bars long, so it moves through it very quickly, and it's not a slow song. So, yeah, I mean, harmonically it is very simple.
0: Yep. Emmanuel, can you do me a favor and just demonstrate the two two five ones that you hear in the song?
2: Sure.
3: So the first two five one is in G. So we'll have our
0: And that constitutes A and A. Yep, that's our mm-hmm.
2: A section.
3: Yep, and then after that we have a two-five to a C, but it goes to a C minor instead of C major.
2: Ooh.
0: So what we can say is that the two-five cadence isn't quite uh, standard, and yeah. so we get a little psyched out. Um, in the B we, section. In the B section. Yeah. And it doesn't. It doesn't lead to the resolution that we quite expect.
2: So do you want to play that last B and then or I mean the B section to the and then the A section? Yeah, we just hear what that sounds like? Yeah. Yeah. You guys want to all do that? I can do it. Yeah. I'm just volunteers. Okay. One, two, three, four. So some quick harmonic sort of deviancy there in the B section, and then the A section just sort of rounds it off nicely. Yeah, nothing too crazy going on here. Andre says he feels comfortable soloing over it.
1: I can play the blues over this, and nobody gets mad at me, so. <laughs> <laughs> You're happy. I'm happy. Yeah.
2: But I should say, this is one song where I'm kind of glad that we don't have permission to play the melody because we had some trouble oh! with it whoa <laughs> we had some trouble oh
1: blows Dustin.
2: no no i think we all did i mean that's it's
1: a tough melody
2: but it's a cool melody yeah. I, I it's one of my favorite that we've covered so far and again you should really check this song out listen to this melody it is it's blazing fast saxophone trumpet
1: you were saying something about polyrhythmic yeah um I am not familiar with any type of
2: poly angle things.
1: Yeah. Um, so I don't know what that meant. Yeah. So. so,
2: I mean, the head has sort of this three beat phrase. Dot, 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 dot. And okay. uh, that sort of just keeps repeating. Um, or I'm sorry. It's dot, 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 Like that. It's uneasy. Yeah. And so it's a three over four. Like a uh, three beat phrase in a four beat context. So if uh, I'm trying to think of like how to explain it and play, can you it. do
1: that one well, like one e and a two e thing? So if
2: I if you're if I'm counting if I'm just keeping time on my hi hat, one two three four. You can hear how that rhythmic phrase pop 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 moves into different places against the rhythm that I'm keeping on my hi-hat, right? Mm-hmm. Does that so, make your brain hurt? Uh, I love it. I think it sounds really cool. I think it's what jazz is all about, man, that that funky syncopation and that feeling of <sighs> losing the downbeat, which we were when we were trying to play it. <laughs> <laughs> it was lost continuously. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's a, it's a cool feel for sure, and it's definitely, yeah. I, I read that, uh, yeah, if, if this tune is called at a jam session, it's usually by a saxophone player. And uh, they're not really prepared for it, is what I learned tonight. No, not really. Oh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I think that the this is
1: see these are the songs that, that are really fun to play, and the hardest part is just the the stinking pickup the rhythms into and the pickups, the yeah. The song, yeah. Because if you don't play that right the first time, then your timing's off for the for yeah what, for, for And while. what this is it? It's a seven
0: note run. I think you can play the run safely, right? Can we just play a run? Yeah, it's it's a scale. So Andres, will you just give us an example of the run that that kicks things off?
1: This is not the song, wink, wink. Nope. This is just a scale, everybody.
2: Yeah, and that last note would be our downbeat in this this song, which is a lot of notes to precede a downbeat. (laughs) But uh, that's too much. Yeah, (laughs) it's gone too far. Lot going
1: on. I don't know why. It's it's funny that you say it's like it's just it is just a scale. And I've played that scale probably thousands of times, but for whatever reason, when we started playing today, just practicing, I could not—I couldn't get the timing. Well, it's the
2: rhythm. It's the up, Yeah, that—that yeah, yeah. that definitely makes it tougher. So, um, yeah, the—the—the the, the melody is tricky in this song. Chord changes are not right. Not, not a lot going on. Sometimes you'll see some crazy chord changes written over this head section with all the melody. But if you go and listen to the song, one thing that's interesting about this, even though it's like a small jazz group, like four or five musicians, the arrangement through the head is very tight and very arranged. Yeah. Like the, instru- the musicians are all playing this melody together, and the drummer is playing right along with that same rhythm.
0: Yeah, and the term for that is in unison. So everybody's playing in unison, the same notes, the same rhythms— even the bass player, we had to double-check what the bass player was doing, and everyone is playing in unison.
1: I didn't hear the bass player. <laughs> <laughs> Unders needs to work on his <laughs> bass ear training. The, I don't, think these headphones, don't we all? I don't think these headphones come in bass. <laughs> <laughs>
2: So yeah, it, it's definitely one of these songs. It kinda reminded me of four, the tune we did by Miles Davis. It's got a very tight arrangement through the head. Yep. Um so I would say learning the melody is essential for this for playing this song in a jam session because you're gonna want to accentuate that on whatever instrument you're on. Yeah, and if you have if you're lucky enough to have it in your real book, this is a tough one to sight, read. Yeah, good luck.
1: I found this play along, um, and it was ridiculously fast. Really? And I could not I was like, this is not one of the versions of Sonny Rollins or Chet Baker or any of the ones that I enjoyed listening to. It was those were all nice medium swing. It was relaxed. Maybe a, they a were boys-y. disguising I it was like, from Why the is so absurdly spam bots. fast. It was it was uncomfortable. <laughs> um, as I was trying to you know learn the melody because this is it is a tough melody. I couldn't even play the melody against the this play along.
0: You know I I was watching a bass video once. It was um. What is that guy's name? Jeff Berlin. Mm-hmm. And he was at a NAM thing and he invited somebody to come on stage and play something. And he had the neatest recommendation. He said, You know what? Don't worry about the metronome when you're learning something, forget it. And that's kind of contrary to so much of the advice that I heard otherwise. But oh he, yeah,
2: I I well, I would say I give similar advice as far as when you're first learning something, you shouldn't be practicing the rhythm right off the bat. You know? Right,
0: you know, go ahead and slow it down and make the mistakes yeah. and make sense of it, however, sort of irregularly you need to. Yeah.
2: If you put that pressure on yourself right from the outset, you're just going to end up with a sloppy result, and and uh, you're just going to well, be. And I, for that, I
0: don't I, I don't even mean playing it at the right speed. Right, but even if you were to slow it down, I think he was recommending against that. He just yeah. said ignore the metronome. Mm-hmm. And learn the thing, right, yeah, yeah, and then try to play it in time,
2: yeah, no, i that's that's usually how I teach it, like learn the notes, learn the rhythm, learn the dynamics in that order, you mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. Uh, i still I
3: feel like I still approach things that way a lot yeah. of the time, especially that's if, how I learn things, yeah, yeah, especially if you're trying to pick you know because you I feel like you can go about that way where you're sight reading the rhythm and the melody simultaneously and giving sort of equal um attention to both, but I feel like you know that's how you might miss out on things like um when someone's carving through the changes. Like, you might miss out on the fact that they're playing a triad in their solo as a means to complement that chord change. Whereas I feel like if you're just focusing upon that melody and disregarding the rhythm, you can kind of begin to see a lot more of those little puzzle pieces fit together.
2: Right. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um. So there's a couple other musical concepts we wanted to talk about. We're, p- we're paving a lot of new ground in this episode. We're covering a player we haven't ever covered with a lot of sidemen we haven't really covered and uh, a couple new musical concepts that we haven't covered before one of which that no one wanted to talk about except for me was this idea that happens in some of the chord charts that you might see and that's where in our a section after we resolve to g major our one chord occasionally you'll say this you'll see this g major move to an a flat chord and then back to a g major again now we've come across chromaticisms in songs we've done like this before and we've been able to kind of explain them away as being like passing chords moving to another key center or 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 even an outright key change. In this case, we're start we're we're landing on our one chord, we're moving to a chord that is not in that key, but then we're moving right back to our one chord. So, what is going on here? And I was very excited to find out and talk about this whereas no one else really shared my enthusiasm that this Maybe a very good example of a tritone substitution. What were you going to say? You talk Aaron? about this like every. I said <laughs> maybe, maybe people are
0: just trying some tones to substitute for. Oh, that's something. very good. Yeah,
2: they, I think they are trying some tones. Um, so yeah, that's terrible. I can't. Just let you that know,
1: in. Aaron is a dad. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> that's right.
2: Right now, both
0: of my kids are listening. They go. <gasps> ah. Yeah. yeah. As, as all Why are. Why do
1: you love tritonal substitutions so much? Well, Ever since I've met you, yeah, you haven't stopped yapping about it. That is true. <laughs> I,
2: I should say, before this podcast started, I used to make Aaron and Andres get together with me just so I could hear them play tritone <laughs> substitutions. Because, it, I, uh, yeah, you know, honestly, I don't get to really experiment with jazz harmony on the drum set. And so I am interested in understanding it a little better and this is something that gets thrown around and that i definitely heard about and probably had explained to me at one time in one of my music classes that i handily slept through because it was at 8 a.m or whatever and uh so i've since then been trying to reclaim this knowledge that exists somewhere in the back Mm -hmm. of my brain but anyway what is a tritone substitution so my understanding of what a tritone substitution is, is we're taking a chord that we would have played normally. In this case, I believe it would have been the five chord in G major, which would have been D7, which we already played earlier in this line. And we're just sort of solidifying this resolution to G major right here. Okay, so it's kind of like we're playing this D7 that resolves to a G major. And then we're just going to drive that point home even further by playing that D7 and G major again. Can we play that real quick just to hear what that sounds like? One, two cool so all we've done there is sort of drive home that resolution into our home key of g major rather than use that d7 again what this chart plays instead is an a flat which is weird because that's not in the key of g but a flat is a tritone away from d if you don't know what a tritone is yeah go ahead Aaron. Yeah, that's the devil's interval right there. Is what they call it. Uh, it's pretty dissonant. Yeah. So if if you don't know what a tritone is, it's just the note that exists between your fourth and your fifth scale degree. So in the case of D, yeah, our our fourth is G. That one. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> yeah. That's an itch you want to scratch. Yeah. So why does that work? And and uh, why then? can we get away with playing that chord at that point? And it's because that when we build that chord up from that A-flat, it happens to share a few tones with that D7 chord. So maybe now we can hear those chords back to back, maybe a D7 and then that A-flat, A-flat seven. Yeah.
3: So here's the D7. And here's the A-flat or A-flat seven? A-flat seven, it says. Okay, here's the A-flat seven.
2: Yeah, so there's some there's some shared notes in those chords, even though there's a lot of tension and dissonance between that chord and uh, its its tritone relative D seven or whatever. So when we use that chord in place of D seven, it, it still works to cause a resolution, and if anything, it builds more tension in that quick amount of time. So we're gonna play the same example again we did before, but now instead of that second D seven, we're gonna play an A flat seven and see what that sounds like. Sounds like trouble. Sounds like trouble. <laughs> you guys ready? A one, two, three, four. Yeah, so it, it, there's a lot of color in that in that tritone substitution, but it's still setting up all those same dominant functions as the D7 did. We, it's let- adding a lot more color and tension.
3: Should we talk about those common tonalities?
2: Yeah, please do, Emmanuel, because I can't tell you what they are off the top of my head.
3: (laughs) (laughs) So so in our D7 chord, we've got our D, F sharp, A, and C. Now when we move up over to the A flat chord, we've got A flat, C, E flat, and F sharp. So to begin with, we have the 7. So the 7 in the D7 chord becomes the 3 of the A flat 7 chord. And then the seventh of the A flat chord is the three of the D7 chord. So we're kind of swapping threes, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Keep
1: your I threes just, to yourself. I don't, don't want to swap threes with anybody. <laughs> I don't know.
4: Okay,
0: so check this out. So yeah. also, I've always understood that a common place for the tritone substitution is in a two, five, one progression. Yeah. And you go 2, which is the 2 minor. Let's in this case, it would be A minor. And normally it would go to the D7, but the tritone substitution would be the A flat, and then resolve to the G. So, what that in effect creates is kind of that chromatic walk down that you talked about. So how about we play it like this? We go two five one for two, two bars tritone one. and then two tritone one. And just to hear the difference. So eight bars total? Eight bars total.
2: Yeah, I love it. Cool. So there is just a quick example of our standard two-five-one, and then the second time through we did that two tritone of five, that A flat two-one, and there's not a huge difference there that you can really hear, in spite of the fact that we're playing this awful, awful devil's interval of the tritone. I don't know why you guys aren't way more excited about that like I am. Well,
0: <laughs> I'm imagining Andres, huh? it's going to be way cooler in the solo. I mean, in the, it's one thing when the rhythm section does it, and I've actually it was during the Goodbye Pork Pie Hat episode that it came up that Mingus would often play that tritone in mm. the bass, mm. and it would give the song a different quality. I, yeah. f- I find it's probably really hard to hear in the rhythm section, unless you're a super sophisticated listener. Right. Something it might be yeah. sharper in the,
3: in the solo. Oh, well something I was gonna say too is that, uh, so often whenever we have a five chord, um, with, with piano players, we, we tend to tack on the flat nine, because it gives us a bit of that dissonance so that when we resolve it, we have that sort of same chromatic walk down. Mm -hmm. And that note, again, is present in that A flat chord, which gives us kind of, you know, if we were doing a blues, Mm -hmm. kind of gives us that sort of thing, you know? So it it gives us that same, yeah, sort of tension that we crave that it'll resolve, like Mm -hmm. y'all were talking about. That's really cool.
2: And it definitely strikes your ear a little bit more prominently than just the regular... Dominant chord is does that we hear all the time. You want to try it with a solo? Uh, one, two, three, four. Ooh, that was neat. That sounded really cool. I did it! That was good, man. That was Dustin, great.
1: Did you smile? But did, yeah, I
2: did. I did. You've
1: never been so happier for me right now. This is the only
2: reason I'm friends with you in the first place. Though. Oh,
1: just like I hit the flat. <laughs>
2: that a good, a man. That's a cool little...
1: Little it's, thing, it See, make,
2: now you guys are mustering some enthusiasm. Sense. It <laughs> makes sense in my fingers,
1: but when you use your words, because there's so many, Dustin. Yeah, it, it that's loses all I've got me. over here on my drums.
2: <laughs> so. How am I going to show you tritones <laughs> doing this? Um, all right, so the next part I'm way less excited about, and that's trading solos with the drummer. Okay, yes. everyone else is way more excited about this than I am. <laughs> well, in this, in the
0: Sonny Rollins recording, they each take their solo several times, I think, and then there is a very exciting. Kind of a short trade back and forth that we wanted to imitate
2: Yeah, for our take. So this idea of trading solos, you'll hear in Jazz Standards, and I'm not sure if we have have heard it in any of the songs we've done up to this point, but basically at the end of everyone taking their solos, the instrumentalists are going to do another solo for four bars, whoever, and then the drummer will do a solo all on his lonesome, all on his sad and lonesome... <laughs> self will do a solo for four bars and this this will just go back and forth for the length of uh, a a head or or an aaba form and uh yeah this happens at the end of this song in the end of this song it's they're trading two bar solos which is pretty quick usually it's like four or eight in this case it's only two and this song is kind of quick so these solos are are back and forth very quick and so the level of improvisation they had to do this in the first place is, is impressive because, you know, not only are they having to come up with quick, you know, meaningful phrases in a short amount of time, they also are communicating back and forth with each other. You know, myself as a drummer, my approach to this is going to be to listen to what the soloist before me is playing and then do something to uh, complement that or sort of respond to it. Um, as best that I can But uh, yeah This is not my strong suit And like I said I'm not excited about it I'm much more Do you guys Are you sure you don't want to talk about More tritone substitutions? <laughs> <laughs> no. Let's go back Yeah <laughs> Well I, I What letter are we on? P? Yep This is pent up house with I've a P. been
1: asking for more drum solos You have Since letter like Yeah F.
2: I, yeah F uh, I think F was a good Episode 100 will just be a drum solo, nice. I think. Yeah. It's a drum solo and a party. Where are your bones, uh, Aaron? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> a, just table. so out of context <laughs> in the middle of the podcast. No, where are your
0: bones? <laughs> it's an in, it's an instrument.
2: So maybe we could just give a short example of what this is like before we play the song. Yeah. So before we get into that, so your your kind of your brain's more of a call, call and response. That's my aspiration. I don't know if it's my brain. Uh, I'm definitely okay. that's that's what my mode of thinking is. Obviously, I'm limited to what my vocabulary is and what I'm comfortable playing on the instrument and improvising in the moment. But I am trying to lock on to what everyone else is playing at the same time and and do with do with that whatever it inspires me to do in the moment. If I can even channel that in the moment, because I
1: mean, I'm, how, how I'm seeing this is is you're responding to Emmanuel, and I'm responding to you, which is responding to him. Yeah. So if I just ignore you and just listen to him. Uh huh. We're fine.
2: No, no, I like it this way better because then it becomes like a game of telephone, you know, like we played in elementary school where somebody says something in one person's ear and oh, okay. they whisper it down the line. The cat and the chickens love Kool-Aid on Wednesday. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: That is not what I said.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I quoted the preamble of the Declaration. No. Uh, yeah, and so... It does become okay. kind of like a.
1: So we'll we'll play a a, a a pent up house version of telephone. Maybe that's why the house is so pent up. Is it yeah. a bad telephone?
2: Yeah, it certainly is. I love this my idea. End. All right, the lines are down on my end. One, two, three, four. <music> Yeah. So
1: what I heard Yeah, yeah, tell me. Was uh there was a there was a phrase that Emmanuel played mm-hmm. and then you got like a little bit of it. Oh it was, thanks. Uh, <laughs> 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 I heard the phrase I played it again and then you actually played that phrase. It was a it was kind of a bup bub bup, bup, bup. Uh huh. It was, it was, thanks it
2: was for keeping fun. it simple on me, guys. I appreciate that. I can really tell you guys were, you were on your training wheels just for my sake in those solos, but it worked I out feel for like me.
0: I, I let you down a little bit. You're like, what am I supposed to do with that? Bong,
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: where's my
2: gong? <laughs> yeah. No, no, uh,
1: trading's can. always fun because you know, it's, um, I, I, personally really like trading with different instrumentalists and even rhythm section too because there's different... Even uh, the lowly rhythm even section. Even the drummer <laughs> yeah. because there are rhythms that I wouldn't necessarily think of and it challenges me to try to emulate or try to pick up what they're handing me. Mm. Um, so I, I really do actually like trading in any type of fashion.
2: Yeah. Um, uh It was cool just then. I mean, I don't know if this came across, but in the solos that Emmanuel and Andres did, I really was trying to replicate the phrasing that they were coming up with. But then when Aaron took his solo, it was unexpected for me because he hit this big, loud note. And that's not something that I would expect from a bass solo. So in uh, what I did after his solo was I tried to contrast that moment and tried to get quieter. And so that was just something I thought of at the last second. I don't know if it really came across or not. But that's just an example of sort of the mindset you can have. You don't always have to do you know imitate it can be a response as well mm-hmm. you know anyway uh yeah there's some advice from someone who has no confidence <laughs> in their ability to do this whatsoever but uh you know but, you know we're going to record it for everybody to listen to <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway uh, are we done talking yeah. yeah i think we should give this a shot pent
1: right. pent um, pen, pen, pen up pent pent up house pent up house one two, three.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that
0: was neat. In the middle of that I had one really hard pluck that was I didn't mean to do. It was like boom ba doom boom
1: Power.
0: I think like you meant r- to do that. You did like a little slap or something it, right yeah, in that moment. It wasn't yeah, supposed it. to be that much. It oh, felt okay. like a ricocheting bullet a little bit.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think we both hit that note. Yeah, I think that note hit me.
4: Yeah,
2: it got you and then you're like um, that was pent up house everybody that was a fun too. that was a song oh you know what we never picked out a song for the next song
0: oh L M N O P Q is Quasimodo Oh, because it's the only song it's we know the, that starts with Q that's right and it also who's it by Charlie Parker Ooh, oh. Boy. Oh. Yep, we've been waiting for Q on this one uh, <laughs>
2: yeah we're still not ready thanks for joining us hope you enjoyed this we've just started getting some fans reaching out to us it's been really cool Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, interacting with our fans and, and seeing what they have to say. Thank you, fan. Yeah, thank you to our fans who have reached out to us. And if you are out there wondering, should I reach out to these guys? Do they even want to hear from me? Mm-hmm. Yes, we do. Please reach out to us. We'd be so happy to talk with you and interact with you and uh, learn what your thoughts are and, and answer any questions you might have because we love you, via, our dedicated uh, listeners. Facebook? Via Facebook, via Instagram, via Twitter, via email jazzimpostors at gmail.com um,
1: and anybody who writes Dustin, Dustin will get a tattoo of their name on his lower back for the first That's 200
2: awesome. people I will tattoo <laughs> your names on my neck no, I'm not going to do that but anyway, yeah please leave us a positive review wherever you're listening to this and a uh, friendly comment and all those great things and uh, until then, this has been Dustin on the Drums Aaron on electric bass.
1: Andres on the saxophone.
3: Emmanuel on piano.
2: And we'll see you guys in the next one.